0: This is Resolutions, a podcast from the American Bar Association Dispute Resolution section. I'm one of your co-hosts, Larry Schooler. I'm a senior facilitator with Kearns and West. With all the conflict we face and try to resolve, what if we stopped and reconsidered how we approach conflict in the first place? That's a question that's been on the mind of Rabbi Dr. Daniel Roth for quite some time. He's the founder and creator of the Jewish Week of Constructive Conflict, which is taking place around the world this week. He's based in Israel and teaches at Bar-Elan University, Hebrew University, and the Pardes Institute, and is director of Mosaica, the Religious Peace Initiative. He spoke about his work and the origins of this unique conflict resolution commemoration. Rabbi Dr. Daniel Roth, welcome to Resolutions. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, it's funny, uh, as I think about intersections between our shared faith, Judaism, and conflict resolution, sometimes the first thing that comes to mind is the old joke, two Jews, three opinions. And I would think that as you've made a, a personal and professional journey into this work, you've probably had people asking, you know, how does a rabbi, how does uh, someone end up in this, in this work with the kind of... Uh, perspective that you've taken on it, uh, given your deep roots in faith. Share with me a little how you began this journey for yourself.
1: For me, the journey began my first day studying Talmud uh, as an 18-year-old, studying Talmud in an intensive way, rabbinics, um, where um, we were assigned by our rabbi um, only about eight to 10 hours to prepare the uh, subject matter. Normally we would have a lot longer than that and uh, I just recall feeling extremely lost in the text and we barely understood that there was a disagreement between two different rabbis in this ancient text Um, and when we showed up to class we were really kind of looking forward to the rabbi clarifying to us well what are the different opinions and kind of you know spoon feeding the disagreement to us. Instead he asked a question that really kind of changed my life and he said Who's right? <laughs> Which opinion do you agree with? And no one know what to knew what to do. I mean, everyone kind of looked down and tried not to make eye contact. It's the first day of class, we're 18. And he kind of uh, scolded us and said, you know, stand up and vote. Who do you think is right? This rabbi or the other rabbi? And finally somebody kind of said, Well, I think it's this rabbi, and he looked at him and he said, Do you think the other rabbi is a bozo? He didn't think of that. Prove to me while well, the opinion that's opposite is also right. And, and I remember feeling as an 18-year-old that I'd pulled a muscle in my brain that I had not stretched before of constantly um, having to engage in contradictory truth. And doing that for hours upon hours, years upon years in the study of Jewish text, uh, which, at, as, which it's at its core are celebrating disagreement um, is really what brought me to my love of mediation and conflict resolution and, uh, and connecting these worlds.
0: One of the things that's always uh, held great significance to me um, within the tradition is this passage in the Talmud that refers to bringing peace between two people, between man and his fellow. It's it's you know there's different translations, but it's it's given this elevated status in the Jewish tradition as a, a particularly important deed, and. I'm curious what your take is on that um what what do you think either Jewish people or perhaps humanity is called upon to do as it relates to bringing peace between people.
1: I think what's amazing is that um you know it's it's the the passage that you're referring to actually has become part of the prayers the morning prayers even it's it's the before we start our prayer we uh, we have a little taste of Torah, and that taste of Torah includes core values. Um, and one of those core values is bringing peace between fellow people. And um, I think that's part of the mantra, part of the 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 values that the rabbis were trying to have kind of seek into um, uh, uh, you know the brain and into the soul of how we're supposed to be starting our day off and what we're supposed to be thinking of doing. Um, and that passage uh, that talks about this as being you know one of the top values in this world and brings you merit in the world to come is uh, is one of numerous sources uh, that can be found in Jewish text that are uh, that their purpose is really to encourage people to engage in whether it be uh, you know resolving conflicts as a side to a conflict and even more particularly as a third party
0: I think it's important that we also sort of distinguish for, for listeners, you know, th- the fact that your, you know, connection to the work of dispute resolution is, is I think, around uh, a particular facet of it, which is to say that, of course, people resolve disputes in all different ways, including, you know, courtrooms and, God forbid, you know, with with fists and violence and all, all sorts of other things. Um I guess I, I'm, I'm curious to hear you explain the particular connections you find between uh, mediation and arbitration and the Jewish faith tradition. Um,
1: you know, it's, uh, with, within Jewish tradition, there is always, it, there's always been, um, You know, alternative dispute resolution and that's always been encouraged. Um, Within Jewish tradition there is what's called Din, which is strict justice. You have two people go to court and the judge makes his uh, makes his ruling. Presumably with one a winner, one a loser. Um, We know that sometimes both people, even the winner, feels like a loser and uh, because it doesn't really address the needs. Rabbinic courts have always encouraged to go towards a process of uh, a pshara, which can be translated and understood in different ways um, in terms of its parallel to contemporary dispute resolution. Uh, Sometimes it could mean a judge sitting in court, but not enforcing a compromise, uh, but actually helping to facilitate a mediation uh, between the parties. will uh, we'll address, um, you know, when the judge is actually kind of ruling a compromise agreement. And that is actually very much debated. Uh, some saying that that's a great mitzvah, a wonderful thing to do. And some will say, actually, you can't find anything more um, objectionable and more forbidden than having a judge uh, enforcing a, uh, uh, a compromise um, against the will of, uh, of the individuals. Um, and that's, that's a really interesting fundamental debate because it touches upon what's the role of the judge in the courtroom. Um, but everyone seems to agree, even those that are against this idea of a judge ruling compromise, that again, if he were either to have facilitated the dialogue, but not through coercive uh, measures, or if he had approached the parties prior to them coming to the courtroom, um, and, in a, and again in a non-coercive way, Or of course, and this everyone agrees with, if there were, um, you know, non-judicial mediators that are trying to uh, facilitate a mediation process, between them all agree that those are wonderful uh, and important aspects, even a mitzvah, even a, a, you know, a a good deed. Um, But, and I'll just, I'll just add that, uh, that, that every judge is supposed to even pose to the litigants. Um, What would they prefer? Um, Would they like to have this resolved through a process of uh, shara again, which can mean multiple ways of dispute resolution or do they prefer, you know, strict justice? Um, Maybe I'll add, you you opened up a whole large, you know, uh, conversation, but I'll just add two little points that I think should be emphasized. One is, that within Jewish history, there were people that were known as the mediators in the community, called rotefechalim, pursuers of peace, or Mitav shalom, mediators of peace, and they worked alongside the uh, the judges. Meaning, they wouldn't sign on the compromise agreement; they would have the judge sign the compromise agreement. Um, but it was clear that it was facilitated through the uh, the consent of the of the parties in conflict. Um, which is so strikingly similar to contemporary mediation. The other point I want to mention is that I found stories where the judge will be asked to rule under strict law, call it arbitration, call it uh, you know uh, a formal court procedure. Because at the end of the day, they accepted him as an arbitrator, as a judge. Um, but what's interesting is that I found cases where even when the judge says, "I'm going to rule strictly according to the letter the the law," he'll still work to promote peace between the, between the sides, which is a really interesting thing that you would not even think to be appropriate in contemporary um, legal context, it would be overstepping. But when people live in community and they know each other and they're gonna to continue to live in that community together, um, even if they rule uh, in favor of one or the other, the concept of reconciliation, of trying to, harm, of trying to bring some kind of healing in the relationship is was also seen as being part of the responsibility of the judge, even when ruling strict justice.
0: To to get into a conversation about Nine Adar, I think obviously we need to, you know, explain to our listeners we're talking about a date on the Hebrew calendar that there's a Hebrew month called Adar. Um, I, I obviously want to understand the evolution of this project, but I think it's helpful first to set the historical context. What is what is the date 9 Adar and its significance uh, in this work <laughs> to you? So what's important to understand
1: about this date 9 Adar is that um, I mentioned earlier how a core part of Jewish text study is embracing disagreement. And the first rabbis that were to model that were kind of the founding fathers of rabbinic Judaism named Hillel and Shammai and their houses, which were really kind of two political parties. Um, They sat together in the Sanhedrin, which was the Senate. Uh, They were a, uh, you know, uh, uh, a legislative body where they would make decisions, political decisions as well. And they modeled for basically two, three generations of how to engage in what's called disagreement for the sake of heaven, which can be translated as constructive disagreement. You know, one of the core principles of democracy uh, that uh, American founding fathers that write the Constitution um, deeply believed it. Um, And I think just about any semi-knowledgeable Jew will be able to say, oh yeah, hello, Shammai. They're the ones who always disagree, but they do it in a really friendly way and they love each other, despite they have political and, 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 and legal difference of opinion. And no one ever really heard of the story of Nain Adar. No one. I mean, maybe one or two people that I've ever met heard about it before we started. And it was even a dilemma, should we even tell the story? Uh, or should we kind of hide it? Should we bury it? And there was an interest in burying it. So what's the story? The story is, is that on this day of the Jewish calendar, the ninth of the month of Adar, was the day when uh, they, the, the, the students of Hillel and the students of Shammai, probably two or three generations after the individuals of these political parties had already passed away, but their students, students came to uh, have a very sharp disagreement over 18 um, legal issues, almost all of them well, actually I'll say according to certain opinions all of them had to relate to how open or closed to be towards non-Jews uh, which historians put in the context of should they make peace or war with the Roman occupier and over these semi kind of seemingly very um, you know not important laws they came to blows and people brought in weapons into the senate I mean who would have ever thought of literally bringing swords and spears into the senate and they battled and the House of Shammai, which was against making peace with the Romans and wanted to have more of a particularistic worldview, uh, won that day and killed uh, more students of the students of Hillel. And they then went ahead and voted. It was like literally after you have a violent clash, they had a vote and there were just simply more people of the Shammai camp that were able to raise their hands. And Because normally Hillel's camp won because they were a much larger group. They were much more inclusive. And that was marked as a fast day. Uh, it was marked as a day that Jews should fast um, to commemorate what happens when they stop disagreeing constructively, and the system collapsed. Um, I think it was buried intentionally. Uh, Non-Rabbinic Jews, Karaites in the Middle Ages, used to make fun of the Rabbinic Jews, saying, "You guys don't really have truth. If this is how you, if this is how your forefathers engaged in disagreement, if you don't know how to respect each other, that means you don't have." you're not a role model for anybody, you're not a truth. So we, when we were looking for what could be a day that could capture the imagination of promoting conflict resolution, and we, you know, looked at a bunch of different kind of awareness days uh, on the Jewish calendar, and this seemed to be an important story as a wake-up call of what can happen after tens of years of constructive disagreement, of balancing different needs and perspectives, and how all that can all of a sudden just one day disappear. And um, and and that there's an important story to be learned from this.
0: I wonder what you would tell the Jew or the non-jew about sort of the ideal way to observe the the week of constructive conflict that uh, is upon us again you know what 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 would manifest that uh, best in your mind?
1: If the story is about a breakdown of constructive disagreement into being, identity-based disagreement and not, you know, substance, not, you know, it just became this group against that group and they couldn't hear each other, then I think that people have to think very deeply about how do we strengthen our culture of disagreement, how do we strengthen our culture of civil discourse, how do we strengthen our culture of constructive disagreement, and uh, from within a Jewish context, there's so many amazing texts that speak to that value Um we put out an amazing program called Mahlokit Matters, Disagreement Matters, that literally is a textual exercise to expand the brain's capacity to engage in disagreement around political, ideological issues that, unfortunately, I think is being eroded. Uh, it's being eroded for many years, not just a couple years, um, from uh, from the culture of democracies around the world. Um, and I'm interested in the Israeli uh, civil society and American civil society, but you see it happening all over the place. So. Within that context, within Islamic context, I encourage people to study the text of Adib al-Ihtilaf, the ethics of disagreement, which, um, you know, every Muslim scholar knows that they start off learning about how to have constructive disagreement within Islam. And each culture has their texts and their values of how to engage in constructive disagreement, how to understand how two different people are seeing the exact same thing in opposite ways. And, you know, within within an American context, I tell people, Take that day and read you know, your news like allsides.com, which is like the Talmud of the news. How can you read you know, different political uh, opinions, left, far left, far right, around the exact same issue? That is the number one skill that the mediator has, that anybody in dispute is, it's the ability to see the third story. It's the ability to see the common story, the contradictory interpretations at the same time. That doesn't mean you don't have your own opinion have your own opinion, go out and advocate, go out and vote for what you believe to be the correct opinion. But we're gonna vote and advocate and demonstrate in a different way when I am aware of also the weaknesses of my perspective and the strength of the perspective that disagrees with me. So take that moment and read what you don't normally read and try to think deeply with humility, curiosity, and respect of how can I try to strengthen our culture of mediation and civil discourse.
0: And I, I guess I just want to kind of test out an assumption that I'm making with you when you describe <clears throat> when you describe constructive conflict, what I hear you to say is less a matter of getting people to agree or to find a place of agreement and more to you know agree to disagree in a, an agreeable fashion or to agree to disagree in a way that reflects uh, a, deep, a deeply felt respect for one another, or perhaps it's some of both. Perhaps you are hopeful that greater common ground gets discovered, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, sort of what constructive conflict really does mean to you and, and what you aspire for it to mean uh, in the broader picture.
1: So first of all, I disagree with what you just said, I'm just joking. Um, no, it does not mean to just agree to disagree. It, that, that's not what it means to me. Um, because then we're living in this uh, kind of postmodern shrug. Um, and, and then we're not actually going to be able to solve problems. There are real problems that we need to be able to get to work and solve. And I think that's what dispute resolution comes down to. How, you know, Are we having our, our children and our university students and our workplace environments always solve things through a process of, well, you got the one person who's kind of the judge and they make the decision and one wins, one loses. Is it just kind of the shrug and then you try to be nice and give in? That also doesn't really work. Or are there real tools that need to be strengthened of how you debate and then debate the other side and then think together of how can I understand your needs, your narrative, and let's solve these problems. We need a mass movement of people advocating for complexity and constructive problem-solving. And, um, and that's true in the court systems, that's true in the political systems, that's true in the school systems, and it's true in family. And um, so, for, so you know, we have a process that we encourage called the Sanhedrin way, where it's literally reenacting the way the rabbis would do constructive disagreement. And it's an amazing process that is a problem-solving process. Yes, there is a result that we know, are we going left or right? Otherwise, we're crashing into the wall. But when I go left or go right, after I've gone through that constructive controversy process, I'm with you because I really got it. And I'm not just being forced and strapped into the back seat until I get a chance to get my hands on the wheel.
0: You know, we're speaking today in two countries that... I would argue, um, may be in more dire need of, of the lessons of Nine Adar than, than almost any other around the, the world. You know, clearly we have a uh, an American electorate that uh, has significant numbers of folks who identify with the, the two major parties. Israel, I think, is on the cusp of, what is it, their third or fourth election and so many
1: Fourth, but you know, very much going on to fifth because it was this will not be resolved in this current election, correct? Yeah, <laughs>
0: uh, and and so you know, as we extrapolate out from kind of the, the individual and the interpersonal to the the, the broader uh, political worlds, um, if you had an audience with either you know, President Biden, Prime Minister Netanyahu, or others in that in that sphere, what might you tell them you'd like them to to take away from uh? this week of observance?
1: Honestly, I don't think it's about talking to the, uh, the political leadership uh, that's going to solve it. I mean, if you're talking to the whole Senate, the whole Knesset, that's one thing. But it's really, you know, we live in democracies, thank God, that are representatives of our culture. It is a mirror of what we are and who we have become. And that's why it really doesn't, it can't just be, you know, blame the guy who's in top right now. Um, it's really a question of looking inward as well and having communal leaders um, stand up and advocate for constructive, uh, you know, problem solving and, uh, and, 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 and to move people towards um, really appreciating the needs and perspectives of those that are uh, in disagreement with them. And that's a really hard thing. I mean, uh, I'll just, (laughs) I mean, we work in Mosaic and we work with top leaders. We work with top religious leaders, okay? Who sometimes have actually more influence on our societies than uh, than the political leaders. Um, And we'll work with the most extreme because they have power and they have influence. And if they have power and they have influence and they're affecting their societies, they need to be engaged and not ignored. And to sit down and get, if we can sit down here, I'll, I'll leave it like this. If we can sit down and get the top Islamic leaders that are so incredibly against Zionism, against Israel, against everything, and get the most right-wing religious Zionist readers, leaders that you cannot believe, okay, what their thoughts are about non-Jews and about Muslims. If we can get them to sit down and talk with each other and think pragmatically, and that uh, we do this all the time behind the scenes, saving lives, working out crisis situations, trying to figure out collaborative, I am very much encouraged if that can be done in Israel, we can find a way for you know, the two different political parties that found themselves in a narrative battle uh, to also sit down and find ways to make um, good decisions that can balance uh, as much as possible the different needs in a culture of mediation.
0: Rabbi Dr. Daniel Roth, thank you very much for talking to us about this. Really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: That's Rabbi Dr. Daniel Roth, whose vision helped lead to the Jewish week of constructive conflict. He's also the author of Third Party Peacemakers in Judaism, text Theory, and Practice, which is due out soon from Oxford University Press. For more information on the Jewish Week of Constructive Conflict, visit nineadar.org. That's the number 9-A-D-A-R dot O-R-G. And you can attend a live session observing the Week of Constructive Conflict on Wednesday, February 17th at 1 p.m. Eastern. The details are in the show notes. For Resolutions, I'm Larry Schooler.